Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. There is so much going on in Congress these days, it's hard to know where to begin from COVID relief and the budget to hate crimes legislation, coronavirus vaccinations, and calls to investigate the siege on the Capitol back on January 6th. But we know whom to turn to talk to about all of that. And this weekend, it is a conversation with Illinois Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. My guest this weekend is the Democratic Congressman of Illinois' 8th Congressional District, Raja Krishnamurthy. He was elected in 2016 in the district, which includes west and northwest suburbs of Chicago. His was one of the stronger voices raised on Capitol Hill in favor of a commission to investigate the violence and the motivations behind the January 6th insurrection. And we're going to talk about that a little later on. He's also on the House Intelligence Committee. We spoke just over a year ago on this program via Zoom, and we are doing it again. Yes, the pandemic is still with us, though it is starting to fade. Raja Krishnamurthy, welcome back. Hey, thank you so much, Craig. Great to be back. Well, uh, let, un- but unfortunately, the pandemic has uh, never left. Uh, let's talk about that first and, and really where we are right now. I mean, vaccines are plentiful and they're available here in the U.S., though they're still not getting to some neighborhoods very well, mostly African-American and Latino. And there's still a substantial amount of hesitancy among some populations. So how encouraged are you that we're seeing the beginning of the end here? I'm encouraged. I think that the Biden administration has done a tremendous job of uh, getting, I guess, 50% of the population as of today, uh, having received its first dose. And that's uh, remarkable progress. But we have challenges. Uh, On the one hand, uh, the other 50% of our population should seriously consider getting vaccinated and and many of them should get vaccinated soon. Um, And and the other problem that we have is that many countries remain ravaged by COVID. And as the scientists say, um, unless we get much of their populations vaccinated, uh, variants that are exponentially multiplying over there could defeat our vaccines here within as little as one year. Mm. So, and that is one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about. You're a lead sponsor on the uh, effort to ensure that other countries have what they need to combat COVID-19 and the variants. Um, You've already kind of sketched out what the aim is here, but 
why should people in the U.S. Uh, see the importance of helping other nations? And also tell us exactly what the bill would do. Well, thank you for bringing it up. It's called the NOVID Act. It's a play on words, no more COVID. And the aim is to stand up a program that would help to vaccinate 60% of the world's population, mostly in poorer countries, because not only is it the morally or compassionate thing to do, but it's the smart thing to do in our national interests. Because at the end of the day, um, if we do not help those populations get vaccinated, those variants will multiply and they will come back and harm us here in the, in the United States. And it's rather cheap insurance to help vaccinate these people abroad to help protect the enormous progress that we've made here, both economically and, uh, of course, in terms of our healthcare crisis. And we're hearing about some areas of the world where uh, COVID has been surging still. Uh, Africa, uh, especially Southern Africa, is one of them. And, uh, and of course, India. Uh, this has got to be of uh, uh, great concern. It should be a great concern of the, for the world. Um, but the U.S., I gather, has a, has a real central role to play here. It really does. And you might rec recall that uh, George W. Bush stood up a similar program for HIV AIDS in Africa called PEPFAR. And this PEPFAR program has been authorized and reauthorized on a bipartisan basis over many years. And it's done a tremendous amount of good in eliminating HIV AIDS in Africa. And we have to do the same thing now for COVID. Um, and yes, you mentioned India, my birth country as having been ravaged by COVID. And unfortunately, COVID has touched my own family. Uh, two of my extended family members have, have succumbed or died of COVID. Many have uh, experienced COVID. And many of my constituents, family members and friends have been touched by COVID as well in India. So uh, this is not just a professional obligation of mine to make sure that uh, other nations get vaccinated and help our country stay protected, but it's also a personal issue too. And are the, the countries, well, India being one of them, uh, that are experiencing this, if they get the kind of help we're talking about, are they in a position to um, really take control? Uh, I mean, I know that uh, I know in India, part of the problem is that even when there's vaccines, the hospitals are being overwhelmed right now. I, I understand that the situation is improving significantly right now, but there's still a lot more work to be done. And one of the interesting aspects of India, which your listeners may not be aware of, but it is the world's largest producer or manufacturer of vaccines. And so helping India and other countries um, with the current crisis enables them to not only help themselves, but to help the rest of the world. They, they exported, I believe, 70 million doses of vaccine to Africa and other regions. And they are also a critical component of what we call the quadrilateral initiative, which we've initiated with India, Japan, and Australia, where India is supposed to produce 1 billion doses of vaccine on its own 
for consumption in other regions of the world. So uh, helping these countries help themselves also helps us uh, with our global uh, mission of protecting all countries because COVID anywhere is a threat to everyone everywhere. Uh, I want to talk also about something, a, a different topic, but related to this, and that is hate crimes. Because uh, this spring, with more than 100 co-sponsors in Congress, uh, you're moving to establish a National Hate Crimes Commission. Uh, this is a response to the rash of cry- hate crimes that have targeted people of Asian descent across the country. Um, anti-Semitism is also on the rise, but uh, some of this has stemmed from people targeting a- people of Asian descent because of covid What could or what would the commission do? Well, thank you for bringing bringing up the commission. It's a a bipartisan commission that would essentially study and report back within one year the causes of the rise in hate, not only toward Asian Americans, but other minority groups, and of course our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, but also suggest ways to address and prevent this hate and discrimination and prejudice that is being targeted at our fellow citizens. Unfortunately, in our country, we are still overcoming a history of this type of behavior. And I'm so pleased that my bill has bipartisan support. It has now over 140 to 150 co-sponsors in the House. And I'm still pushing to get that enacted into law. But some of this is gathering information, but what do you do when, I mean, if you get information that basically says hate crimes are everywhere and they're, and they're increasing, what does that do to, to help get rid of them? I think, first of all, you can't solve something unless you measure it. And so, you know, measuring uh, the incidence of hate, uh, what is its trajectory, what has helped and what has hurt the cause of fighting hate, Um, is a first step. And then secondly, implementing solutions. So for instance, in many jurisdictions, they have implemented uh, education about the history of racism toward different communities. Here in Illinois, for instance, I I believe that there's legislation that has been um, taken up with regard to teaching the history of racism toward Asian Americans. You know, it started in the 1800s when Chinese American, I'm sorry, Chinese laborers arrived in America, and um, basically it led to the Chinese Exclusion Act, uh, which essentially tried to push them out and push out their uh, relatives after we had used their labor to help build the transcontinental railroads. Of course, we have the Japanese American internments of the 1940s. Then we have the hate toward Muslim Americans and others and Sikh Americans after 9-11. And the list goes on and on. So, you know, teaching a history about racism toward uh, these different groups is a start. And then obviously standing arm in arm and shoulder to shoulder against that hate is really important now. And but this brings up another issue that we've been facing in this country, which is when you call out the kind of hatred that is still rearing its head, some people say that's denigrating America, that is taking America down and painting uh, a a bad portrait of it. And there are actual, there are movements 
against this kind of thing, against teaching this, saying that that divides America, that it, it, it makes people think less of this country and not as much about unity. What do you say to those people? I think that ignoring that history is worse than getting educated about it. Um, we all embrace America as a set of ideals, not uh, a set of uh, people defined by their race or their ethnic origin or the number of letters in their name. There are 29 in mine, Craig. <laughs> I think what we define America as is a a brilliant set of ideals that we are always aspiring to. And in aspiring and achieving those ideals, we also have to recognize our shortcomings. And that's what this uh, movement to educate people is all about. Um, one other issue that has kind of come up uh, is that uh, because of the attacks on Asian Americans, partly because of the origins of uh, of COVID-19, now that some officials are suggesting it may have escaped from a lab, what's your concern about renewed targeting of Asians because of that? I think that you can talk about and examine the origins of the coronavirus um, without necessarily associating it with one race of people or with, for instance, Chinese Americans or Asian Americans. Um, you know, when Donald Trump called the coronavirus the Kung flu, what he was trying to do was he was trying to conflate uh, coronavirus and COVID um, with being of Chinese ancestry, with being Chinese American. And what we have to do now is uh, the intelligence community is going to continue its very important analysis of what the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese government did uh, if anything, uh, with regard to the start of the spread of coronavirus. And uh, separately, we have to fight hate and discrimination toward Chinese Americans and Asian Americans generally. That's, those are two separate um, tasks that we have to perform. And, and in the end, what difference would it make, at least as far as most Americans are concerned, if this disease even if this disease were something that escaped from a lab, as some people want to, want to say, what difference does it make to people here about how COVID is dealt with in this country? Well, I think that there needs to be an accounting for how this started uh, for at least two reasons. One, uh, we just have to know how this originated and do whatever we can as a world community to prevent that from happening again. Two, if the Chinese government and Communist Party actually covered up the origin of this disease, uh, they're going to have a lot of explaining to do because it's very hard to trust them uh, when it comes to uh, information on other issues as well. And certainly, if it did come from a laboratory accident, we also have to understand why, what was going on in that lab. I don't think necessarily that the evidence points to uh, some type, type of biological weapon being conceived, but what was actually being done in that lab that led to this outbreak, if that indeed happened. And, and they're going to have to be held accountable for that as well. You're listening to WBBM News Radio's At Issue. I'm Craig Delamore. My guest is 8th District Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy, and we're talking via Zoom. 
And we're going to talk about something that happened just before you and I started uh, talking, and that is the uh, effort to create a commission to investigate January 6th. And uh, it would be it would be an understatement to say that tempers and rhetoric have been high in Congress over those efforts. And it, the measure passed in the House, but it came to a halt uh, just, uh, just a couple of hours before we uh, started this interview uh, with only six senators siding with Democrats. And that essentially dooms the effort. Uh, what's, your, what's your feeling about what has happened to this effort to look at January 6th? It's shameful. I think that uh, basically Mitch McConnell uh, asked his fellow senators on the Republican side to not vote in favor of this, though he knows the, the horrible nature of the attack on January 6th. To me, what these senators ended up doing, especially on the Republican side, was in not choosing to vote for a bipartisan commission, they essentially uh, are aiding and abetting Donald Trump's efforts to cover up what happened on January 6th, and they're potentially inviting another attack. That is why I think it's so important for Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, to convene some type of inquiry to get to the bottom of what happened on that day I lived through that day, and I can tell you it was one of the most horrific days in Washington, D.C. and in our nation's history, and uh, we can't let that happen again. So what we would have then is not a bipartisan investigation, but still a congress. You still foresee some kind of congressional investigation taking place. There has to be some inquiry Craig, there are a lot of unanswered questions about that day. And I had to uh, ask some of these questions during a hearing uh, recently with the former acting defense secretary, Chris Miller. He was chosen by Donald Trump uh, in the waning days of his administration. And one of the questions that I asked Mr. Miller was that um, on the day of the attack, uh, at least two different sets of people approached him, called him urgently, namely the mayor of Washington and the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, uh, asked for urgent assistance uh, as the Capitol was being overrun. And it took 90 minutes for the defense secretary to agree to their call for military assistance. And it took almost four hours or more for actual troops to arrive on the scene. Meanwhile, uh, 140 police officers were injured. People died. Uh, the Capitol was ransacked. Mike Pence was almost uh, killed. Uh, they were hunting for Nancy Pelosi. They were looking for members of Congress. And they, they tried to overturn our democratic process. This was a full-fledged insurrection. We don't know why there was that delay. And in fact, during that day, Kevin McCarthy called Donald Trump himself and urged uh, military assistance right away. And you know how Donald Trump answered? He basically said, uh, he basically questioned Kevin McCarthy's loyalty to him and to the, uh, what I call the big lie that the election was stolen from Donald Trump. And so these are the types of questions 
that have to be uh, examined and probed because at the end of the day, we have to know how to uh, deal with perhaps a recalcitrant, a recalcitrant president, a president who doesn't want to send assistance to the capital to, to save the capital and our democracy and our democratic ways. And we have to prevent this from happening again because that insurrection that began January 6th may be continuing even as we speak. Um, some Republican lawmakers say Congress and the administration should and this theme comes up a number of times when we talk about these kinds of things, that the administration should move on and do, the, do their best now that we've had this horrible thing happen to unify the country and that this is not how to unify the country. Your response to that? I think that's a preposterous statement. Um, I think that uh, what happened on January 6th is a singular event and the effort to... Uh, try to examine what happened was supported on a bipartisan basis in the set in the house 35 members of the Republican caucus bucked their minority leader in supporting this bipartisan commission and it's very clear why as Liz Cheney said very clearly uh, this attack on January 6th was a, an attack on our democracy um, it was an attempt to overturn an election and um, if we don't examine and prevent this from happening, we're going to give in to mob rule. We stared into the abyss that day and we can't go back. And that is what this is about. So to really unify our country, we have to undertake this commission, not avoid uh, inquiring about January 6th. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the budget because uh, President Biden went into this holiday weekend amid word that he's proposing a $6 trillion budget. I suspect that just the amount alone scares a lot of people. What are we going to face in the coming weeks now? I personally think that um, right now we're still in a war with the virus. 50% uh, of our country is vaccinated, 50% are not. The case count has gone down for sure and we're reopening the economy. Uh, thank God we, we are where we are, but we have a long ways to go. And so that means taking appropriate health measures, but it also means taking measures to continue to reinvigorate our economy where 8 million people are still unemployed who were employed before the pandemic began. Um, I think that we need to undertake a um, infrastructure or jobs program uh, as the president has proposed. I think there's a lot of momentum for that. Um, I also think that uh, we have to, uh, as I proposed, um, do whatever it takes to kill COVID everywhere. Uh, it is a, it's similar to a world war in that sense. And just as we did with the Lend-Lease Act during World War II, where we helped to lend and uh, donate uh, the supplies that we were not using in uh, the United States to help our allies to fight the war. We need to do the same here so that it doesn't come back to, to hurt us at home. There isn't a lot of, uh, of dispute over the kinds of things that the money would be spent on. The issue is where it will come from. And how do you foresee the fight over that going? Because it's taxes or it's, it's, it's cuts elsewhere? What, where are we going to get that money? 
Well, I think that it's going to be uh, a combination. Um, I think that it's going to be cutting tax expenditures um, and probably it's going to require some belt tightening. But the main point is that uh, we're going to have to do this, in my opinion, uh, hopefully in a bipartisan manner, if possible. But if my Republican colleagues, for instance, say no, 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 no to, uh, you know, trying to win this war on COVID, um, you know, we're going to have to go it alone. If they're going to say no to uh, broadband internet or replacing lead pipes so that all families can consume clean drinking water um, or uh, making sure that we can upgrade the electric grid to finally move to a more renewable energy economy. I think there's going to be a lot of support for making sure that this happens regardless uh, of, of whether certain Republicans come along. Because what we've seen in this latest example of the commission with regard to January 6th is just an example. There are certain Republicans who will not necessarily do what's right, but do what Donald Trump wants. And we can't go that road anymore, Craig. We have to do what is right for America. And I'm more than willing to sit with and talk to and work with any Republican uh, who, who wants to do uh, who wants to follow that path? But I've got to ask you, is that is the atmosphere on the House floor in Congress in general such that you can have any hope of doing that? I think so. I think that um, though clearly, you know, people are concerned still about January 6th and some of my colleagues on the other side who continue with some very bizarre theories, whether it's about QAnon or uh, the Jewish people being responsible for California wildfires. Um, I think that President Biden insists that we work together, for instance, on this infrastructure package. And so I think that we will do what is in the best interest of the American people and, and, and try our best to work together here. And we only have a couple of minutes left, but I want to ask you a uh, House Intelligence Committee question. Uh, and that is, uh, of the things that you can talk about, uh, what should everyday people be paying more attention to right now? Because there's sometimes, with all the rhetoric and everything, we don't really get a chance to think about the other things that are going on that really affect our lives. I think there are two things that we should be paying attention to. One is uh, our cybersecurity. This is absolutely vital uh, for our country to uh, prioritize, especially in light of the most recent attacks by uh, Nobelium and the Russian intelligence services uh, against uh, the USAID, um, which just happened a couple days ago, as well as the solar winds attack and the colonial pipeline attack. Um, the other thing that I think the American people need to be focused on is the threat posed by the Chinese Communist Party and the Chinese government. It's a long-term threat. Um, unfortunately, uh, those folks are after our industrial and economic secrets. Uh, they continue to uh, throw their elbows in the Indo-Pacific region with their neighbors, and um, they wanna dominate the world economy. And so we have to be ready for that. And it's going to be an ongoing challenge. 
Um, for the, with the Chinese communists, is this also part of the cybercrime threat? Uh, or, or is it going beyond that to economic moves that they're making? It goes beyond that. Um, they not only pose a threat in terms of cybersecurity, but you know what they do, for instance, uh, with regard to Hong Kong or Taiwan or the South China Sea, what they do in terms of basically proposing a, a totally different model of governance in the world, an authoritarian model, um, really poses a threat to whether we're going to have a rules-based international order, uh, one that values freedom and uh, democracy and liberty and free enterprise, or one that is really controlled by the state. Um, and I think that uh, Americans need to be focused on the challenge ahead. And that's going to mean both uh, aspiring to things that maybe we didn't do in the past, such as really promoting STEM career, STEM education in a big way, uh, to upgrading our infrastructure in a big way right now so that we are more economically competitive. And thank you very much. That is Democratic Congressman Raja Krishnamurthy of Schaumburg, Thanks for spending this uh, half hour with us. To our listeners, if you would like a copy of this program or to hear it again, please visit our website at wbbmnewsradio.com. There should be a link a little ways down the homepage, and you can also find our podcast on odyssey.com. We'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 